not familiar, we're not uh, acquainted with our heritage of compassion. And that got me thinking quite a bit about our heritage as Christians. Uh, Our heritage of compassion goes all the way back into biblical times, but even from the time that Jesus not only lived his life on the earth, but from the time that he was resurrected from the dead and the early church began in the book of Acts, we see that compassion marked the church. Not only did truth mark the church, but compassion marked the church. The early Christians were known all over the early society as people that demonstrated the love of God in action. And so we wanted to devote, as we continue to discover who we are as a people, as we continue to discover who Antioch Church is, uh, a heritage of compassion seemed appropriate for us to delve into during this holiday season. So I'd like for us to read Luke chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 67. And I want to encourage you throughout these holidays to uh, read the accounts of the nativity. Read the accounts of uh, how it was again that Jesus came to the earth. Particularly Luke's gospel in chapter 1 is, is just outstanding. I'm going to be highlighting this passage of scripture as a foundational text over the next four weeks. So we'll get real a- uh, acquainted with verses 67 through 76. But I encourage you on your own time with the Lord, uh, read through these passages. It'll tenderize your heart, and I believe it will open you up to receiving and perceiving new things during this Christmas season that perhaps um, maybe have become familiar to us. It's very easy for uh, Christmas and uh, the fact that Jesus has come to the earth, it's very easy for those things to become familiar. And so as we tenderize our heart, to the great implications and the great significance of this incredible act in history, uh, I believe it'll help us to extract so much of the life and the meaning out of this that that God has intended for us. So Luke chapter 1, let's take a look here together, and we'll begin at verse 67. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And let me just break down a little context here for those of you who may not be familiar with what's going on. Uh, because 67 begins really in the middle of much activity that has already taken place. Namely, a a man by the name of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were very old in age. Zechariah was a priest, and his wife, Elizabeth, uh, was barren. She could not have children up until this point. And almost out of nowhere, uh, of course, in the divine timing of God, God was orchestrating these things to take place, Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth conceived. And they conceived uh, a baby boy by the name of John, and many of you may know him as John the Baptist. He was Jesus' cousin. Jesus uh, was born of a man by the name of Joseph and Mary. So we're picking this up, and this is Zachariah's, in in your Bible it may say Zachariah's song, but essentially what we're going to read right here, we're going to read where Zechariah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to prophesy. He begins to uh, speak divine words over John's life and over John's destiny. And because John's destiny was so closely related to Jesus' destiny, uh, ultimately Zechariah begins prophesying over Jesus as well. Let's take a look here. Verse 67, his father, John, meaning Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Verse 76, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Now he is beginning to prophesy over John. For you, son, will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let's pray real quick. Father, as we begin this first day of December, we mark this month as holy. We mark this month as significant and strategic And we mark this month as belonging to you and belonging to your purposes. Father, this day as we step into this month, we say that this is a blessed month. We prophesy over this month that the purposes of God would prevail in the month of December as we close out 2013. We ask you and we invite you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak into 2013 things that we have missed, perspectives that we have been short of. We ask, Holy Spirit, help us to look back on the previous 11 months and to gain great insight and great understanding as we launch and prepare to launch into 2014. We ask, Holy Spirit, that in this month of December that you would awaken our heart to the compassion of God like never before. We pray that corporately as a church, Antioch Church, that you would mark us as a people of compassion, that we would be known in our city and that we would be known in the nations of the earth as a people that clearly demonstrate the compassion of our God. Father, we pray that you would awaken us again to your heart and your love in Jesus' name, amen. These verses here in Luke chapter one, particularly those verses at the end, verse 78 and verse 79, because of the tender mercy of our God, have gripped me for years. In fact, they have become my favorite verses to read and to meditate on as, we, as I've moved into the Christmas holidays year after year. It reminds me that everything that we are about to embark on, some of you have already embarked on that, Uh, journey as you make preparations for uh, the holiday season, it reminds me that this really is a crowning event of the mercy of God. Christmas is about the compassion and the mercy of God demonstrated to all of humanity. Sometimes we can hear John 3.16 and become familiar with the fact that God so loved the world, that his, his Everlasting love demonstrated in his kindness towards humanity is what Christmas and what this season is all about. What I want to do today is I want to take a look at these verses that we just read, and I want to go through them inductively, verse by verse, because today as we start our series, we're going to talk and focus on 
uh, our compassionate God. Our compassionate God. He is a compassionate king, and he is a compassionate father. And before we can talk about compassion towards others, before we can talk about compassion towards our family or towards our friends, our neighbor, compassion towards the poor, the downcast, the brokenhearted, we must first set our eyes upon the compassion of God. Because all of life and all of our worldview and all of our truth begins in who he is without setting our eyes on his compassion Ultimately, our compassion will become self-serving. It will become soulish motivated as opposed to glorifying God. So let's back up and let's go to verse 67 and let's spend some time walking slowly through these verses because these verses demonstrate and reveal the compassionate heart and the nature of our God uh, as it relates to the Christmas season like no other verses I've seen in the scripture. Let's walk through this again, verse 67. His father, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. That phrase right there, his father, Zechariah, as I was thinking through this and meditating upon this, the thought occurred to me that fathers play such a vital role in revealing who our Heavenly Father is. It's no mistake and it's no accident that the scripture records Zechariah tenderly being moved by the Holy Spirit of God and declaring destiny over his son. Fathers have an incredible responsibility. Not that mothers do not have a responsibility, but fathers, I want to admonish you today by the Spirit. I want to admonish you today and encourage you by the Spirit of the Lord today that you become a very real picture. You become a very prophetic picture to your children of the character and the nature of God. There are things about who we are as men that are very important for our children to understand relative to bringing order into the home, relative to bringing discipline into the home, relative to our strength, relative to protecting our families. But that's not just who God is. He's not just a protector. He is not just a defender. He is not just strong. God is tender and he is compassionate. And sir, I want to submit to you today that your sons and your daughters will learn compassion from you. They will learn the compassionate heart of our God by the way that you treat your spouse, their mother. They will learn the compassion and tender mercies of our God by the way you treat them when they make mistakes. And they will learn the compassion and the tender mercies of our God by the way you treat the less fortunate, by the way that you respond to the broken, to the downcast, and to the needy, to your neighbor, my neighbor, the neighbors in our society, your children, your friends, your co-workers are watching you and they are getting a clear picture of who God is as a compassionate and tender loving God through your life. John was a blessed boy because his father was a father who understood the tender compassion mercy of our God. It says here that John, not John, but Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to just pause right here and point out that the Holy Spirit is always the one who reveals to us today. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals to us the character and the nature of God. Left to our own selves, reading this scripture, we will never get an accurate picture of who God is. Left to our own selves, 
left to our own soul, left to our own emotions, left to our own experiences, left to our own intellect, our own ration, our own reason, we will never clearly understand the character and the nature of God without Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit today that reveals to us who Father is. It is Holy Spirit who shows us the tender mercies of God. He translates to us the actions of God throughout salvation history. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us accurate perspective on all things that are coming to us. And so I wanna say today, as we begin our journey into understanding our heritage of compassion, I want us to understand that the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical in becoming people of compassion because without him, we won't accurately understand the compassion of the Father. Holy Spirit. Without the spirit of sonship operating in us, as unredeemed people, we are conditioned to abuse compassion without the spirit of sonship, without Holy Spirit, without the spirit which cries out, Abba, Father, inside of us, we are prone to manipulating the mercy of God, to getting our own ways. Without the Holy Spirit, compassion can become humanistic. Beginning with us and not with God. Let's keep reading here, verse 68. As, John, as Zechariah begins to prophesy, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn, verse 69, of salvation for us in the house of David, salvation from our enemies. We're gonna take these verses and unpack these for a little bit. We're gonna start with that verse, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Understand here that when we have tasted of the compassion of our God, the most natural response is praise. You know, as people of God, I believe that more than any other people on the earth, as people of God, who on a daily basis taste and see that the Lord is good, on a daily basis have before us the mercy and the goodness and the tenderness and the compassion of God demonstrated to us in the salvation of our lives through Jesus Christ, I believe that we can be and should be some of the most praising people on the planet. Come on, think about that. Because of the goodness of God that has been demonstrated to us. In fact, if we have a praise problem, we probably have a lack of awareness problem. Because when we're, when we're gazing upon the goodness of God, when we take time to meditate upon the mercy of God extended towards us, how could we not respond with gratitude and with praise? Praise is the most natural and appropriate response to the goodness of God. I actually wanna say this today. I wanna to say that God's goodness and God's mercy make praise available at all times. No matter what situation in your life, is happening to you right now. No matter what is happening in your marriage, no matter what's going on with your kids, no matter what's happening in your finances, if you can, if you can find the goodness of God, you can find praise. If you can identify the goodness of God in your life in some capacity, you will find praise. And praise will help you overcome. And praise will help compassion grow inside of you. Praise, when you focus on the goodness of God, allows goodness to flow through your life to those that are around you. Hold your spot in Luke chapter one. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling my, my help coming on right now. Find, find, <laughs> find your way to Psalm 103, if you would, and we're gonna begin in verse one. Hold your spot in Luke chapter one and go to Psalm 103, if you would. We're gonna begin in verse one. God's goodness and God's mercy evoke and elicit a people of praise. I think that some of the most energetic and victorious and triumphant environments on the planet 
should be the house of God where the people of God come together and corporately we say, look at what God has done. Look what the Lord has done. Essentially, what happens when the people of God come together is we are creating a corporate witness in the spirit and in the natural that says we are here as the living testimonies of the goodness and the mercy of God. The only reason I am here today is because of the goodness and the tenderness and the mercy and the compassion of my God. I should not be here today and neither should you, but for the grace and the goodness of God in our lives. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. In other words, God has been good to you. God has been good to me. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget that you have eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to comprehend and limbs that function. Don't forget that you were destined on a crash course to hell and God intervened in your journey and snatched you out of a pit and put your feet upon a rock and put a new song in your mouth. Don't forget those benefits. Don't forget that in the midst of the darkest night of your soul that he has given you hope. Don't forget that. And then it goes on to explain these benefits. He forgives all of your sins. Somebody say all. Touch your neighbor and say all. He forgives all of your sins. Church, I want you to know there's not one sin in your life that has not been forgiven. There is not one thing that you have done in the darkest place of your depravity that his blood is not more powerful to remove from your life. There is no stain upon your soul that the blood of Jesus is not powerful enough to redeem you from. His benefits include the fact that you are forgiven. You can stand tall in the midst of your accusers because you are forgiven. When you come into this house, I want you to come into this house with your head high. Come on, everybody right now, just straighten up a little bit. I want you to come into this house with your shoulders back a little bit, with your chest out, with your head high, knowing that you're forgiven. It makes me think about in 1 John chapter 2 where the scripture says that the enemy has come to accuse us. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is very mindful of our mistakes. But the scripture says, but we have an advocate with the father. We have a defense attorney with the father. We have someone by the name of Jesus that says, I know that the prosecuting attorney has said that all of these things, your honor, are true. However, I would like to remind you that all of this litany of accusations, though it may be true, your honor, I want to remind you that my blood that my blood has covered, has covered. My blood stands against the accusation and that person who's accused. Your honor, I want to appeal to you that they are righteous because of what I've done, not because of what they've done. Friends, that's compassion. That's compassion. He forgives all of our sins. And look right here, scripture says, and he heals all of our diseases. He, in fact, today, if you're here this morning and you have sickness in your body, just throw your hands up right now. And by faith in the corporate body, somebody around them, just stretch your hands or lay hands on them. In the name of Jesus, we declare that by the compassion of our God, sickness and disease are removed from you in Jesus' name. We declare by the compassion of our God, we stand by the compassion of our God, sickness is removed from your body. Sickness is dispelled from your body by the compassion of our God. We pray for the demonstration of God's compassion in this house, in your life, to be manifested right now by the compassion of our God in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody shout and clap your hands unto God. 
I want to remind you today that your healing is not about what you do. Your healing is predicated upon the compassion mercy of our God. Don't ever look at somebody and say, you should have had more faith. Don't ever look at somebody and accuse them because they're not walking out the full manifestation of their healing. Turn their eyes to the compassion of their God. Turn their eyes, remind them that because God is compassionate, they shall be healed according to the word. He heals all of our diseases. And all means all. Somebody say all means all. He redeems our life from the pit. What does that mean? It means because of God's tender mercy. It means because of his goodness. I didn't expect this preach to come on this morning. You know, I've been teaching for the past eight weeks on worldview and truth, and I just, some, some of this stuff just been bottled up inside of me, y'all. Okay, all right? What does it mean? He's, he's redeemed our life from the pit. It reminds me of Joseph. Joseph. Here's a young boy by the age of 17 who's got a dream of destiny, a prophetic destiny upon his life, like you have a prophetic destiny upon your life and your haters and your accusers, some of them maybe even your own brothers, your own family members who don't want to see you succeed. So they took, his family took this young dreamer and they threw him into a pit. They threw him into a pit. And here's what happened. There was a couple of Midianites that were going by and they said, we'll buy him. The word buy means to redeem or ransom. They bought him out of his pit, but they bought him into slavery. See, that's what the enemy does to us. He says, I'll buy you out of one situation only to take you into another situation that's seemingly better, but ultimately is worse. But scripture says that when God redeems us, that when God pays, pays a price for our life, we don't stay into a pit. We're translated out of a dominion of darkness and we are accelerated into a kingdom of life and light and love. And I want to say to you today, whatever pit you may be in today, God has redeemed you from the pit of despair. He has redeemed you from the pit of depression. He has redeemed you from the pit of oppression, the pit of debt, the pit of bondage because of the tender mercies of our God. His compassion releases a move of God's spirit in our lives to pull us out of a place. Think about a pit. You can't go anywhere. This is your life right here in a pit. This is your life. You were not created to walk in circles. God redeemed your life because there's a track of purpose and destiny for you to walk on. And so I wanna prophesy over your life today because of the tender compassion of our God, because of the goodness of our King, because of the mercy of our Father, you do not have to live in a pit. He has redeemed your life from a pit. Scripture says that he has put your feet upon a solid rock and he has put a new song in your mouth. I, I want to prophesy that this month you sing new songs. Somebody say, I'm going to sing a new song. You know, when I was in youth ministry years ago, my youth pastor, who, who really was a worship leader, he would encourage us every Wednesday night to sing a new song. He'd have testimony services where he'd pull us up and as a young 16-year-old boy, he'd say, Jay, get up here and just testify of the goodness of the Lord this week. And he just created something inside of me where I always began looking for the goodness of the Lord in my life. And then he would say, we're just gonna sing. And he said, I want you just to sing any song that comes to your heart, sing something, sing something about the goodness of God. Scripture says, sing a new song to the Lord. Friends, I believe that we should always be singing new songs unto God in our private times, on the street. I love listening to new albums that come out. I love how Joe introduces new songs to this house because every new song reminds us of another facet of the goodness of God in our lives. He has redeemed my life from the pit. 
Boy, I think I was thinking this morning, I was thinking this morning, <laughs> it's good to remember where you came from. It's good. Not that we need to dwell in those places, not that we need to live in the place of our past, but it's good to remember what God has redeemed us from because it makes us grateful. You know, I, I've, never, uh, I've never gotten high, I've never gotten drunk, never slept around, never did all those crazy things, but the depravity of my soul, I am very familiar with. I am very well acquainted with the depravity of my sinful humanity. I am very well acquainted with the thoughts that run through my mind and the desires that run through my heart, the wickedness, the iniquity, the sinfulness, the sinful inclinations and propensities of my heart. I am very familiar with those things. And, and you know, a lot of young men and young women that grow up in the church think, uh, well, I don't have a testimony like the drug dealer. I don't have a testimony like the gangbanger. I don't have a testimony like, when you, when you focus on what God has redeemed you from, when you focus on the things that he saved you from, when you, when you remember that, even though I didn't experience those things, but I could have, and I'm just as wicked and dark and ugly as those people who did experience those things because in the depths of my heart, I wanted to experience those things. And in the economy of the kingdom, it's exactly the same. When you focus on the things that he has saved you from and saved you out of, it elicits an awakened heart of gratitude that will keep you on a passionate pursuit of his heart all the days of your life. Friends, he's good. And his mercy endures forever. His mercy knows no end. Scripture says that when I wake up in the morning, guess what? There's a fresh batch of mercy that's waiting for you every morning that you wake up. So no matter what you did yesterday, I want to give you good news. Say good news. There's new mercy today. There's new mercy today. And no matter what time you wake up in the morning, there's new mercy that is waiting for you every morning that you wake up. There's mercy. He's rich in mercy. He's abundant in mercy. He'll never run out of mercy. If you need mercy, say mercy. If you need mercy, run to the merciful one because there's more than enough mercy for you. He's good and his mercy endures forever. He says he redeems my life from the pit and he crowns me with love and compassion. Friends, you're crowned this morning. You're crowned. You have a crown on your head. In the spirit, you wear a crown. It's a crown of love and a crown of compassion. A crown which represents royalty. A crown which represents identity. A crown which represents authority. Your identity, your royalty, and your authority flow from the love and the compassion of God. Your authority in the earth comes from the compassion of God. Your authority in the place of prayer and intercession come by being moved with the compassion of God. Your royalty is a royalty of compassion. Let's go back to Luke chapter one. Try to slow this thing down a little bit. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come. Say, he has come. That's a phrase there in the NIV and other translations that says he has visited his people. What compassion will cause you to do, it will cause you to make visitation calls. I looked at that word visit. It's a very interesting word. It's a very powerful word. It means to look after something or to look after someone. So in the same way that a uh, a person would go and, and visit their mom or visit their dad or visit a loved one in the hospital or in prison to look after them or to care for them or a friend popping in on someone's home to look after them, to visit them. 
That's the word here. In other words, Zechariah is saying, God, you did a pastoral visitation to earth. We were sick and you did a pastoral visitation to earth. We were in prison and you came and you made a pastoral visitation to this prison of humanity. Isn't that powerful? He didn't just visit us. He didn't just come. He came and he did a visitation. He came to look after us. It says to look after someone in order to see how they are doing, especially the poor and the afflicted and the sick, in order to help them or to benefit them or to care for them or to provide for them. So this just is, this isn't just a, hey, I'm just popping in. This is, I'm here on a divine assignment. So Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, God, you have sent your son to come and to look after us because of your compassion. I want you to think about moments in your life when you have been in sorrow or in trouble, when you have been in pain and you have been alone. I want you to think about moments in your life when you looked around and you didn't find anyone there, a human being, a living, breathing human being. Prayers are good, but prayer is no substitute for a human being sitting with you in your room. I appreciate your prayers, but come into my room. Let me see your eyes. Let me feel your hand. Let me taste your chicken soup. And that's what, that's what Zachariah is saying. He's saying, you didn't just think about us from a distance. Your compassion caused you to come close. I want you to know today that our compassionate God is a God who is not a God from a distance. He is a God who comes close to the affairs of humanity. He is not a God who is afraid of the brokenness of humanity. He's not afraid of your anger. He's not afraid of your frailty. He's not afraid of the things, the demons you wrestle with at night. He says, I want to come close to that. I want to be right there in the middle of your deepest struggle. I want to be light in the midst of your greatest darkness. That is a God of compassion because compassion comes close. It is impossible to have compassion from a distance. If you want to develop compassion, get close. If you want to be a compassionate person, uh, acquaint yourself with the brokenness of a situation or a person's life and compassion will grow inside of you because compassion comes from getting close. Scripture says that God came near. He visited us. He got in the middle of our mess. And I want you to know today, whatever mess you're in, God wants to be right in the middle of it. He, he, he's longing to be near you in the middle of your greatest need. Oh, you know, the same word here is used in Matthew chapter 25, and we're not gonna look at all of the verses there. I encourage you to read it on your own. Jesus is telling a parable about sheep and goats, and he's, and he's referencing two different kinds of people, and he's referencing the people that he calls the sheep, and he says, and I'm so proud of you. I'm so blessed by you because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you came and visited me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. You clothed me. The word visit there, he says, when I was sick and you visited me is the same word here in Luke chapter one where it says that God came and he visited humanity. Same word. And those people said, when were we sick? Or when were you sick and we visited you? And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these when you did it to the least of these. I want you to think about the people in your life who are sick. I want you to think about the people in your life who are in prison. I want you to think about the people in your life who are naked. I want you to think about the people in your life who are hungry, who are destitute. And Jesus is saying, when you do it to them, you're doing it to me. 
We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But that's the same word there when Jesus came to visit us, a demonstration of care through his presence. Listen to this statement right here. When God sent his son, he sent his son to bring all that he is into all of our brokenness. All that he is, all that he is invading our brokenness. So I want you to know this morning that when we walk in compassion, we bring all that he is into people's brokenness. We bring all that he is, all of his truth, all of his hope, all of his comfort, we are bringing it right into the middle of people's brokenness, right into the middle of people's greatest need. Matthew chapter nine, turn there with me if you would. Matthew chapter nine, verses nine through 12. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. It's not the healthy who need compassion. It's the sick. And in stating this, Jesus was making a statement about all of humanity. All of humanity is in the sickness of sin. All of humanity is in the prison of the devil. And he says, I have come for all of humanity because it is those who are sick who need a doctor. Let's keep looking at some words as we go down these verses. Verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. What a great word there. The word redeem means to ransom. It means to buy back. It means to deliver. It means to rescue. We were born into the slave market of sin. Every single one of us, when we were born, we were born as slaves. You need to understand that, church. It doesn't matter what kind of family you grew into, grew up into. It doesn't matter if you were going to church from the moment that you were, doesn't matter if you were uh, baptized as a baby, you were born into the slave market of sin. That's what scripture says, Psalm 51 verse five, David says, surely I was sinful at birth. From the time my mother conceived me, there was sin that was growing. It was, it was resident in my veins. Romans 5.12 says it like this, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all have sinned, all have sinned. Before you breathed your first breath, there was sin that was in your, in, in your being. Colossians chapter one, verse, 20, or verse 13 says that Jesus rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. This was a demonstration of his compassion. This was the greatest rescue mission that humanity has ever, ever seen. I love watching war movies. I love watching movies of heroism and bravery and courage and, and especially seeing men go back into the throes of battle to rescue their fallen brothers. This right here, friends, is the greatest rescue mission that history has ever documented. It was a rescue mission of Jesus being sent into the prison of humanity, into the prison of sin, and Jesus saying, I'm gonna buy them back. I'm going to pay a price so that they can be freed from the slave market. It's a real deal. And the price he paid was the price of his blood. 
And the reason why he paid that price was because the compassion of his father compelled him to lay down his life to rescue us from sinful, sinful, sinful humanity. Let's keep going on right here. Luke chapter one, verse 72. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Friend, I want you to think about this. Every time you go into a shop to buy a gift, I want you to think about this the morning you're with your family and you're you're unwrapping presents and you're worried about the stuffing being burnt or the turkey being too dry. I I want you to remember this, that everything that is building up to the next 25 days Everything is about this one central thought. It is about the thought that God himself is enabling us to be sons and daughters. The reason why I'm sending my son is so that you can be sons and daughters and serve me without fear. The reason why I'm sending my son is so that you can walk in the spirit of sonship and live before me in holiness and righteousness all of your days. That is is what all of this is about. Every light, all the tinsel, all the popcorn, all the cookies, all the gingerbread houses is all about the spirit of God invading humanity so that we can live as sons and daughters with boldness and confidence. We don't have to hang our head down. We don't have to live in fear before a holy God. We can say, this is about us being sons and daughters and living with boldness and freedom like we were created to live. We were created to live this way, church. Let's look at some words here. The word mercy, verse 72. He did all of these things to show us mercy. It's a powerful word. It means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted with a desire to help them. Isn't that awesome? Kindness and goodwill towards those that are downcast and broken, motivated by a desire to help them. Many definitions in the Hebrew and the Greek of the word compassion and mercy Pity means to spare people from punishment or from wrath. Uh, Loving kindness, tenderness, goodness. In fact, every time you see the word compassion, you will always see in the context the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God. It is his innate character which makes compassion a reality in, in, in who God is. And so our working definition for this series that just takes all of these wonderful, wonderful words and their meanings and definitions. Very simply, when you hear compassion, I want you to hear this phrase, the goodness and the mercy of God in action. The goodness and the mercy of God in action. Turn with me while you're there in Luke 1. Skip back a couple of verses and look at verse... uh, Well, I'm not gonna read all these because we're running out of time. But beginning in verse 46... A young guy by the name of Mary, Jesus' mother, she breaks into her own song, her own prophetic song. I'm gonna extract five verses uh, out of the rest of this chapter here that all reference the concept of mercy and compassion. And those of you guys who are biblical students or biblical scholars, you understand hermeneutically that this is very, very important. Anytime you see a word repeat itself over and over in in a passage of scripture, it means that the author is trying to communicate a theme, 
So well, many times when we read, oh, this is Mary's song and this is, this is so nice and immaculate conception and Mary, did you know? And oh, this is so lovely. And then, then Zachariah sings his own song. One of the things that we will see in both of these songs and in this entire passage here of Luke chapter one is the word mercy. What does that tell you? Let's look at these verses. Luke chapter one, verse 50. This is Mary singing. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Look at verse 54. Again, Mary's song. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Look with me at verse 58. This is Zechariah and Elizabeth and all of her friends are visiting her. And it says that her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy or compassion and they shared her joy. Again, verse 72, that Jesus has come to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his covenant. And then in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Let's look at this next verse as I bring this to a close or this next word, which is so powerful. I've never seen this before in all my years. But in verse 72, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his covenant. Christmas is all about covenant. The reason why we have Christmas is because we have a God who keeps his promises. I want you to think about that, church. The reason why we have Christmas is because we have a God who does not know how to lie. The reason why we have the hope of, of salvation, the reason why we experience loving kindness and goodwill towards men around this season that we set our focus on is because we have a God of covenant. Another way that you could translate Christmas is Christmas is a covenant of compassion. From this day forward, I want you to think of Christmas as the covenant of compassion. I want you to see every light and think of a covenant of compassion. I want you to be reminded of humanity that committed treason against a holy God and willfully walked away from his goodness. And in his goodness, he says, I'm gonna make you a promise. I'm gonna go after you. I promise you, I'm gonna find you. I promise you, I'm not gonna leave you naked and broken and destitute. I promise you, I'm not gonna leave you hopeless. I'm gonna come after you. I'm gonna find you. That's our father. And he did that in his son, Jesus. Christmas, the covenant of compassion. The word covenant very simply means a promise. Something that when God said, I'm gonna do this, he promised himself. He promised himself he would be true to what he said. Christmas exists because God is true to himself. Christmas exists because the goodness and the tenderness of God met his integrity. Christmas exists because God is a God of truth that cannot lie. Let me just read this last verse in closing. In Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 31, scripture says, the Lord your God is a merciful and compassionate God he will not abandon or destroy you and he will not forget the covenant 
that he made with your forefathers. Aren't you so glad that we have a God of covenant? Do you know why covenant works? It works because of his compassion. His covenant is the byproduct of his compassion. And his compassion is the byproduct of his covenant. Friends, today, I want to give you good news. As we start this journey together, understanding the early church's incredible heritage and history of compassion, the only reason why we have an inkling of goodwill towards mankind is because of the goodness and the tenderness and the loving kindness of our God.